0: Hello, my friends. Welcome to Too Much Information with, with Sean Arnold. I can't even speak. It's been so long since I've done with these. I've been on like a like a two month hiatus, three month hiatus with work and stuff, but I'm cranking it back up. This is a good one to start with. So let me try again. Welcome to Too Much Information with Sean Arnold. My name is Sean Arnold. Um, thanks for coming around. Big one tonight. It's a little different because normally we focus really on the guests, but this plays to my guest because we're gonna be talking about uh, the new Star Wars movie, The Last Jedi. With me is a guy that I met through sort of seeing movies with my wife, um, being invited to media screenings and such, and we sort of hit it off um, and got to be friends that way. Uh, He is the department chair um, of the media, or so I'm sorry, communication, (laughs) I got it, communication, media, and journalism department at the University of North Georgia. Um, He uh, has a PhD from the University of Georgia in comparative literature. Did I remember that
1: correctly? Yes, you did. Good job.
0: Um, and he's a great guy. Super interesting. He's directed music videos and he teaches, obviously. And I think you were working on a documentary, um, but he's a great guy. Dr. Jeff Marker. What's up?
1: Ha- a lot.
0: <laughs> Happy to be here. It's good to see you. Cool. Thanks for coming around to my little, uh, my little corner of the Internet.
1: <laughs> you know, your, your introduction made me think about when we met. Wasn't it at the Avatar screening?
0: Oh, you know what? I think it was because that was obviously a great one to discuss after.
1: (laughs) It was, yeah. We struck up a conversation and then, you know, what, three and a half hours later after the movie was over, we we talked some more.
0: Yeah, and we did. And obviously with my wife's, you know, sort of being in the TV world, um, there were those connections. But I'm totally a cinephile. I mean, that's one of the things like, and it's interesting, like I just love movies. You know, I mean, I really love movies. I mean, I watch them all the time. I don't profess to have any sort of training academic credentials. I mean, I'm just a fan. So this is going to be fun. Cause I basically come at everything as a fan. Um, <laughs> I know you're a fan also, but you clearly come at things differently because of your, your background,
1: right? I do. And it's almost inescapable. Um, at some point every semester when I'm teaching younger students, they let me know that I have ruined movies for them. <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, I I tell them one of the things you're doing in in something like a film appreciation class or some, you know, some foundational class like that, you're, you're learning to look at all this from a a different perspective. And for a while, yeah, you really can't watch anything without analyzing it, you know, or just thinking way too much. And, um, but the, you know, you can watch something the way you might read a book at the beach too, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, although I have to say there have been times when my wife totally calls me out and, uh, I'm. I have to pause some stupid TV show to point something out, and she says, "Oh yeah, sure, you can turn it off. <laughs> yeah,
0: you can. You can turn off the analysis. Sure." Well, it's funny though, but it's it how that works because I'm the same way with live music, because of uh, obviously my background with the band and that sort of stuff, and playing music for so long. I have a hard time turning off. You know what I mean? Like your professional yes. ears, right? So like, if I go to a show and I hear something that's a little odd. And especially if I know what it is, you know, and I'm just like, Oh no, like <laughs> how did that sound guy do that? You know what I mean? Right. Or whatever. It becomes almost like a, um, I say it's a little bit like a, um, um, like a, like a hot spot in your vision, you know, or something yeah. like that, where it just, it, it almost prevents you from focusing on the thing you're looking yeah. at. And I would imagine that's probably pretty similar. Um, with is. with it's- film. <laughs>
1: It is hard to escape. In fact, there are times when, um, you know, I, Alicia, my wife and I have taken each other to so many movies over the years, you know, all the time we've known each other. And there have been times when, you know, we'll go to see a movie that one of us wanted to see and it's turned out turns out that it's it's awful and I watch the <laughs> audience as much as I watch the film because I find the reactions a lot more interesting than anything going on on sure. screen you know so if there's nothing worth watching on screen I just sort of find something else to think about and uh, you know turn to the people around me
0: so let me ask you this because I rail i've I've actually can think of on all my podcasts I've probably railed against. Uh, people like you many many times, because I generally <laughs> I generally always sort of take shots at critics um the the main the main reason is this right, and this is what I want to say, and I'd like to get your opinion on it um i am um, uh, I'm fine with opinion right like that's obviously you know people saying I like this or I don't like it. I guess my problem is I feel like there are a lot of critics that come at it very arrogantly, right I mean I guess it depends for on who sure. you're, who you're writing for. Where they're not saying that I don't like this. They're saying that something is objectively bad, when really it's subjectively bad, right? Except for this. I get it if there are filmmaking errors, right? And I mean like technical errors, like lighting or you know what I'm saying? Like the way I would think about an audio situation where like, there's really bad feedback in a certain thing or that it's not mixed. Right. You know, that's, but, but I don't feel the, that with film. Cause as a reader, if I'm reading a review, there's just so many people that are just like, this is trash. And like, I'm like, but wait a second, there are lots of trash movies that I really love.
1: And so do I, you know, I, so I want to clarify something too. The way I write about movies, um, has changed over the years too. Um, When I started out, I I started out writing for a local daily paper and they actually loved it. They kind of encouraged me to be snarky. People would read that, you know, and they asked me every year to do a best of article and a worst of article. And I did that for a few years. And I really, if I could, if I could rewind the clock, I would have never done that. Um, So, so something that changed a couple things that changed the way I approach it. I, I do work with students all the time. I work with emerging filmmakers. And so much of the time, the technical chops are not quite there yet. But I, I, I recognize a voice at work, and I recognize passion and earnestness. And I'll forego technical flaws you know, for that. The other thing is I made some things myself. <laughs> I, un- I understand how hard it is. And when people say – like if you've never made a movie, if you hear people say um, – Any movie like making a feature film is like performing a a minor miracle. It's really not that much of an exaggeration. (laughs) It is incredibly difficult because if you do it right, you're going to work on the script for months, if not years, you're going to go through like the, the average feature film goes through about seven drafts. So just as the writer, you have to have an amazing level of tenacity and honesty with yourself, you know, um, And then you have to find production uh, production funds, you have to find distribution, you have to find hundreds of people who work with you, you know, and all these things to come together. And then ultimately, for every single shot you're going to get, you've really only got a limited amount of time to make sure that that shot ends up with the quality that you want. And so it all has to come together, months and years of planning have to come together for a production cycle that might be um, you might have 60 days to shoot this movie. You might have as few as 21 days to shoot your entire feature film. And you may have done all that great planning and pre-production. And then just something happens during those 21 to 60 days. And so you got to cope with all of that. Oh, and then you have to edit the damn thing, you know? So for all these things to come together to make a movie, that's even decent. It's a huge accomplishment. So, Several years ago, I stopped writing worst of articles. I don't trash artists, you know. Um, I just kind of have changed my my approach to it. But I will say this: the the one thing I kind of have a problem with what you said is, you can look at a film and break down its individual elements and recognize what is quality work and what is not. The same way that you can watch a musical performance and say, "Man." that singer or that guitar player, they're really playing their heart out. It's a good performance. It's too bad the drummer can't, you know, maintain a, a, a steady tempo or, or, sure. or something like that. You know, so you can break it out. And I don't know whether that's subjective or objective, but I guess, I guess if you're the critic, if you could look at that and point out those things, like, okay, you may like the story, but uh, the acting, you know, is a little bit theatrical or, or the acting is real hit and miss across the cast and things like that. If I review a movie, I'm trying to give people something to think about, first of all, um, but then just trying to recognize what what works about this movie and what doesn't.
0: Yeah, and I it's, think I think maybe it's because, especially now with like the advent of like Rotten Tomatoes or whatever, which which is is uh, it, it? Yeah, I know, but it's interesting. But one of the things that I actually like to use it for is I don't care anything about the tomato meter or whatever. But, it's ag- but reviews are aggregated there, you know, so it's cool because you can go and actually, re- you know what I mean? And, like, I wouldn't go, like, Google around a bunch of, like, the Dallas Observer and the so-and-so, and you can kind of get <laughs> to those things in the same place. And I guess it just feels like, I guess, like, in most things, like, I happen sometimes to run across reviews and find out where the reviewer is just lazy. Because, like, oh, yeah. I'll, I'll see them, like, react to a plot point or a story point, especially in franchise or canonical type stuff which i don't know if this is where they clearly don't under know the canon you know or they don't understand where this happened here because of something that happened outside of the sphere of this film and you don't know that and i can tell you don't know that because of the way you commented on it and i think that just pisses me off because i feel like you were just lazy right and didn't spend any time you know with source material or whatever and i know that's probably not logistically possible they just sort of take a plot point and they present it to you and then you just it's clearly obvious they haven't spent any time with source material or anything outside of, except for the range of the film. And it's frustrating if you're really into the canon or you understand what's going on and you're like, wait a second, <laughs> your analysis is yeah. bad because you're operating on an information deficiency, you know?
1: Yeah. No, and another thing you have to keep in mind as a critic is you got to judge it for the kind of movie it is. And for the kind of audience uh, that it's aiming for. I mean, look, we I just this past Saturday submitted I'm – I'm a member of the Southeastern Film Critics Association. And so for the past five weeks, I've been watching screeners for all the movies that we should consider for awards. And, and I assure you, I didn't watch The Darkest Hour in the same way that I watched The Last Jedi. You know, right. I mean – come on, that's absurd, or three billboards. It's a completely different kind of movie. And so, you know, I'm actually kind of a fan of the, the Fast and Furious franchise, even mm-hmm. though some of the stuff in those movies, in a different context, I would just laugh at, and if I'm at home, I, I'm turning the channel. But, you know, look, that those movies are what they are. You know, it's about the cars, it's about outrageous stunts, and at least early on, I respected those movies because a lot of were actually being done. Well, they were genuine stunts.
0: Uh, well, sure. I mean, again, but that gets to a technical component, especially these days where practical effects obviously have given way a lot to, you know, what you can do with a computer, which exactly. is which is clearly pretty pretty extraordinary. Yeah. I mean, as evidenced by the movie we're going to talk about, um, the Last Jedi. But here's another thing that's interesting, which I think is. So much different. And I'd be just curious because because well, I want to start by talking about some of the reactions of people to these things. But one thing that I think that what I mentioned earlier, even referring back to the idea of there being canon, um, is this idea of of CUs. Right. Of cinematic universes. Right. That, that used right. to not be a thing. Right. Like you would have you might have a trilogy. Right. Or you might have a, a movie or two if you were lucky enough to get a sequel and then unl- yeah. unlucky enough to get a third movie that wasn't intended from the beginning because it ends up being total shit or whatever. But um, but, you know, we have these things now. Right. Like Marvel, DC, especially in the comic book world. And, and I wonder if we'll just see more of that clearly like Star Wars, Star Trek, for example, franchises. Right. They are entire universes where you could almost tell an infinite amount of stories. If you have people and and, uh, unless I can't think of something, I feel like you never had that before. And now that's a thing, these intertwined films that are standalones but are part of these larger sort of universes.
2: It well, okay. Quick like quick history. Basically what they're doing is taking a television strategy, a serial strategy, and transferring it into the movies. That strategy began in the movies way, way back um, when you had franchises that would have, you know, good Lord, a, a new entry every week or, or, or every couple of weeks, you know, the sort of B movies that would play in the matinees uh, and those sorts of things. Now, here's the irony um, the universal horror movies that came out in, you know, 1930 through 33, 34. So you're talking about uh, Dracula with Bela Lugosi and Wolfman and Invisible Man, you know, Frankenstein, the same studio, Universal did all of those. And what they didn't really know at the time is they had the making of (laughs) one of these cinematic universes. But they just sort of made this cycle of, of horror movies and they sort of eventually dwindled in popularity. And then none of this was really popular during the classical Hollywood period. And then TV came around and totally stole that whole strategy in the, in the late 40s, throughout the 50s and 60s. And so what you've seen in the past couple of years, um, yes, Marvel has sort of invented this idea of having a cinematic um, universe. Um, Universal is now trying to create that. And even though they were kind of first to, to do something like this at all, it didn't work at all. You know, the mummy failed, and that was supposed to help sort of launch uh, their own sort of monster cinematic universe or something like that. DC's really struggling to put something together that's coherent like the Marvel um, universe. And so you're right, they're, they're, they're already seeing uh, other studios trying to do the, the same thing. Because, you know, look, known intellectual properties are what the studios want now. They want name recognition, they want things that they can spin out and assemble uh, all over the world. And this is when I start to sound a little bit cynical,
1: really. (laughs) Um, And I don't feel sorry for it at all. I I don't think this is a good thing for the quality of movies in general. You know, Um, I I think the movies have gotten more predictable and more vanilla when you have. I mean, every movie that Marvel makes, you pretty much know the formula. And and look, I've liked most of them, you know, to varying degrees. They're entertaining, but. I don't know. Screens are being consumed by these movies that are just pretty much done by rote at this point. Mm. And yeah, it's 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 a shame.
0: Yeah, I mean I I I totally get that. I mean, I, I and I'm probably a bad one because I love that world and I think before it was an area where if I wanted to see something in live action, it was so rare. It was so rare, right, for me to be able to get like something I love so much like comics because I grew up reading comics. There just weren't a lot, so I almost feel like it's milk and honey. You know, what I mean, it's like give me any shit you can throw out because it may stop. <laughs> if you'll turn the faucet off at some point, and that's fine. But you know, back in the day, it's like I would have to scrounge around for like when Spider Man was on Sesame Street or Electric Company for three minutes. You know what I mean? Yep. Like that was the only time you'd ever get to see him. So, um, and, and I understand, but I, but again, I think it's it's more, uh, uh, and and I'm sure that fatigue will set in. But for me, it's more about bringing to life things I never thought would be brought to life. And that's the engaging part for me, less so than the story. Even though I feel like there are certain movies where they do amazing justice to the story, like, and again, you may totally disagree, like Civil War, right? Which Mm -hmm. I thought, which, you know, the Avengers movie, which I thought was really well done. And, you know, even to a degree, like back to, and this will caveat or pivot into the whole reaction thing, but like... And, and I don't know the technical reasons why DC the guys at DC have struggled so much. I'm sure there are probably like actual technical and politics and the 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 the, the uh the bifurcation of of who owns what and you know that sort of stuff, right. which Marvel has tried to do away with. It's like, you know, now we've found out that they obviously brought in Spider Man and you know, because they're snapping all this stuff up, you know, and it and and it makes they can maintain a lot greater control. But like Batman versus Superman, like I really enjoyed that movie, and but but like I know Zack Snyder, right? So again, like I, I knew what I was gonna get, and it that's also interesting to me too. When people like the CGI with the bursting energy bolts and mass destruction, and people complain, and I'm like, you knew Zack Snyder was gonna direct this movie, right? So like you right. had to assume that was gonna happen, right? Like you, it's not like you're gonna get. It's like asking Pollock to paint something for you and it, you know, it it looks, you know, and you're mad it doesn't <laughs> look like the Mona Lisa. You know what I'm saying? Right. Like, I but, know, yeah. But um, I just, I, you know, so, but I just thought that movie got way, way more destroyed than I thought it probably should have.
1: Well, all right. So one thing you said in there, I have been kind of wondering, I, I know that that was reaction for a while when they started making, you know actually comic, they've been making comic book movies now and then for a long time, but they're usually, they usually weren't given a huge budget. Um, not the best talent worked on them, you know? I mean, it's really kind of a miracle that that whole Christopher Reeve phase of Superman worked out, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, and so you had that and then, you know, the, the Spider-Man series, the Tim Burton Batman movies, which only, You know, a couple of those were good. And so, yeah, comic fans were just hungry for a lot of this material. And so I totally get that reaction. And I've been kind of wondering like, well, how long is that reaction going to hold? When, when is, when are you going to sort of get over the fact that, oh, we're just so happy that these things are being made and they're being made pretty well and those kinds of things. And so it's, it's interesting that you still feel that way. I don't, I wonder if everybody does, but you know, the thing I'll say about Batman, Batman V Superman, um, I didn't like it. Um, I thought it was really cynical, um, especially the portrayal of uh, – the way that Batman was written, I had real problems with, even though I think Ben Affleck is a surprisingly good aging Batman. I agree. Um, but here's the thing. Over the past year, I read the graphic novel uh, Dark Knight Returns.
0: Amazing. And- And now
1: I, and now I get it Yeah. like, okay, this is the Batman that, that he's portraying on screen. And so at least because what I, what I saw having a sort of limited knowledge of Batman comics, but being really familiar with him as a sort of cultural, um, you know, icon, I just thought, where in the hell is he getting this, you know, portrayal of both these characters? Well, now I know. You know, this has been part of the comic universe for a good while. It's just I hadn't seen it.
0: Uh, Yeah, and that's also, too, like if you ever read Frank Miller, like that's again, like we were talking about before about Snyder, like, uh, you know, Frank Miller, like you're going to get that kind of like Sin City, you know, that's his. You know, thing. But um yeah, but I think too, my my only thing is, and this is true for film, I know you see as much as any is, is if somebody sees something hot, everybody's gonna chase it. You know what I mean? Like and see how they can reproduce it for as long as it's hot. I almost mm-hmm. feel like in the DC world, the Chris Nolan Batman series was so good. I thought, right? Christian Bale, you know, those films. And again, most superhero movies in the past were either really upbeat or campy. You you know what I mean? And a little bit. And that was not right. Like that was was like a whole different. But that's what Batman is, which, again, it's not Adam West. Right. Like the 60s Batman. That's not really what
1: Batman is. Right. It's not as much as I love. You know, I, I love that Batman booby they made in 1966. I think that's the year, so I do really like that campy Batman, but I know that that's not the core of the character no, at and all. it
0: is, and it's okay, right, for it to be in a departure. But you hadn't seen that in big features, and I think that was the thing about the Batman, the Christopher Nolan Batman's, because it was just like, oh my god, it's like a superhero movie, but it's it's you know, it's uh, it, it's it's dark, right, and it's, it's a serious movie, yeah, and it's, yeah. it's, it's harsh, right, and it's it's um. On purpose, right? And so that was something that I think people had. Like, I don't know if people back in the day thought that would reconcile because they probably thought about comics equals kids. Um, But this is the same way with the video game phenomenon, right? Like, all of us that had video games as a kid now, like, play games. I'm 42 years old and I still love video games. And that's a bit anachronistic because most people assume that's kid stuff. Well, the same with comics. Like, people my age grew up in a pretty sweet, I mean, the 80s and 90s was a pretty sweet ass time for comics, you know, where you had. (laughs) You know, like the Crisis on Infinite Earths and the Death of Superman and some of these pretty extraordinary arcs of comic, you know, where they really got you know serious about stuff being a little more harder. Right. Right. And now I think that but but again, I think I feel like maybe some people were like, oh, well, the Chris Nolan stuff was so good. We need to try to maintain that sort of super serious thing. And I think that's how you get Man of Steel slash BVS, because it's almost like trying too hard to be on the edge when it's kind of (laughs) not.
1: No, I totally agree. But I think that's, I think that's why wonder woman among so many other reasons was such a breath of fresh air too. Like it was funny and it was really spirited, but you know, even in, you know, Batman v Superman, that movie, you know, had one level of energy or one in one kind of energy. And then every time she showed up, it fundamentally changed. It became a better movie um, just because the energy of the character changed everything around her. Also, you I know? think,
0: also, I think a great, um, what's the word example in scoring, because I think they did a great job with the music, right. To, to generate feeling when she, cause if you notice in that film, anytime she turns up the score changes,
1: right. Um,
0: yeah. w- which is cool, right. Again, something that most right. people probably don't think about, but music to me is so critical to movies, especially yeah. those kind of movies.
1: You know, and and I like, I, I'd like a balance of of both of those approaches. I tend to like Marvel when they're funny, because Marvel won't go dark. I think the you know so many of their movies they're just kind of middle of the road, and that's cool. Nobody really died, you know. Yeah. I never really felt like the stakes were all that high, you know. So if you're not gonna. You know, do Batman where, you know, half the city may die at any moment. <laughs> um, and, you know, you're not And you know, Marvel for a while was just going for let's blow up Earth. You know, that's what's at stake. Well, you you know, damn well, you're not going to do that. <laughs> right. And, and so, you know, if you're not going to go darker and get more serious, then just make it funny. And that's why the Guardians of the Galaxy yep. uh, worked. And that's why Ragnarok worked. I think I think they need to stay there, you know, like go ahead and make those.
0: Yeah. One of my one of my critiques um, was that with Age of Ultron, when they killed Quicksilver, I felt like somebody was in a writing room and go, you know, we've got to kill somebody like (laughs) it's just been too many movies. Right. Like someone's got to go. And, and Fox
1: already has their Quicksilver anyway. so
0: <laughs> You know what I'm saying? Like, so it was just like, but, oh, but yeah. like from, from as far as advancing the story, I felt like his death did very little. Like, I just felt like at the end, it was just like, uh, I mean, I get it. Like he sacrifices himself and it was, but he'd already turned at that point. Like, right. He and Scarlet Witch had already figured out, right. That they were fighting for the wrong side. And he saves Jeremy Renner and the little kid, which is great, but it just didn't feel like it was like a super, you know what I mean? To me, and maybe I'm not seeing it right that it like to me, like a death of somebody like that's got to throw the story forward or at least create some kind of, but it didn't even create a lasting effect. Like, it's not like the, the, the the Quicksilver death in future movies had people going, Oh no. Like it's just like, Oh, Quicksilver's dead. Um, well,
1: (laughs) yeah, I, and I agree with you. The, the only, counter argument to that is that it did motivate Scarlet, Witch at the end of that movie and that solidified her becoming part of the team. But you know, look, I think that's a weak argument. <laughs> no, I, no, I get it. That's fair. But anyways, um, you know, well, you know, the, the thing I'll say though, cause I, you know, I assume we're going to veered back toward uh, star Wars soon. Yeah. <laughs> um, I missed comics growing up. I grew up in the oh, okay. boondocks and and I just did not have access to them, you know? And so I'm catching up as an adult, um, kind of ironically, and it's mostly because, you know, I'm, I'm raising a, a son and as he becomes more interested in these things, I'll read them along with him. And, uh, so it's totally ironic for me that I am totally caught up on the Black Panther comics and I cannot freaking wait until that movie
0: I can't comes either. out. I can't either.
1: I read in the uh, Christopher Priest's and I, you know, I read like one volume of those and I thought it was okay. Yeah, it was okay. Uh, but the Tanahati Coats series that they have going on is so good.
0: A side note, and uh, I'm not getting paid uh, to say this. I wish I was, but um, are you familiar with the Marvel Ultimate? Um, it's their service where you can. I want to say it's like eight or ten dollars a month, and you basically have access to their entire back catalog. No. So if you go to marvel.com um they have a subscription service um and obviously you have to read them digitally you know it doesn't give you physical copies but it's like 10 bucks and it literally has everything just about everything they've ever produced um av- wow. available on you know so yeah you can watch you can read entire runs you can do um it's pretty extraordinary and it's and you can cut it off at any time so it's not like you're committing to some major you know thing but it's such a nominal amount of money i have it and so if i just decide i want to go backwards and just you know, pick up a random character and writer, you know, series or arc. And you can just go back and just bang, 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 just read them. So, check it I'll out. Tell
1: you, that's great because so many of these, and this is really intimidating for me. You know, um, a, a guy who isn't hasn't read, you know, very deeply. It, there is so much. You oh, know? tons. There, it's difficult to know what what to pick up. You know, we go to Second and Charles on a pretty uh, regular basis, and I love that place. You never know what exactly they're going to have. Um, but, you know, I go through the shelves and, and I I probably would pick up a lot more if I just knew what exactly I was getting into. Um, but it's just hard to know.
0: Yeah, well, sure. And, and also too, I mean, that's sort of the weird thing about comics is that there's been so many almost universe within the universe, you know, where they've, you know, written arcs that actually are out of Canon technically, or it's just a totally separate, you know, like the new 52 or You know, whatever. So, you know, you can even get in a series where like they're dead. Well, they're dead over here, but they're not dead over here. So it just (laughs) depends on, you know, it just depends on what what world you're in, which is cool. So I think the trick is is just sort of understanding like which, you know, if you're going to jump in, like what writers are on it? How long do the run last? What, you know, what's the deal with it? So that tends to help. Yeah, so anyway, there's just there's so much info, you know, in the past, you know, and it's broken up and there's a lot of great stories. I actually think that's why this is great fodder for film. And to your part, to your point earlier, I think the filmmakers, it's incumbent upon the filmmakers to try to not make them so formulaic. Mm. But the thing about comics is is it's it's an unbelievable storytelling and that's why they've lived through the ages because the people that write these comics generally have, you know, tell great stories. So, you know, right. I think there's a lot of content to be mined there. It just has to be produced sort of faithfully and creatively,
1: right? Yeah, and what I figured out is for the longest time because of the movies that tended to be made based on comics, I fi- I assumed um many of the stories didn't hold up logically. Um and I f- and I assumed all the dialogue in comics was bad. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Sure. And so um so I've had kind of had to figure out that, um, you know, just like anything else, there's really well done comics and there's a lot of really bad, uh, badly done comics, too. Um, but when it works, you know, it's it's an amazing. And, you know, to just to bring this back around to Zack Snyder for a moment, too, I find it really interesting in these instances when the comics are very, very difficult to translate onto film. And so now that I've read the Watchmen, mm. you know, I, when that movie came out, I kind of defended it a little bit, you know, so many people that hated it and everything. And I really didn't think it was that bad. I thought it was really interesting. In fact, um, just the ultimate point that they make in the, in the, uh, the climax of the film, you know? Um, but now that I've read the whole watchman, yeah. you know, so much is left out and I'm not sure how I would adapt some of that material
0: yeah having read the watchman before that even even when they announced the movie i was like oh man that's gonna be really hard
1: Yeah. yeah. I mean, some of the stuff just work there. Those those uh, those two media comic books and film, you know, in so many ways, comic books are almost like storyboards that you can just make a film off of. Um, But in the hands of other people, it becomes a distinctly different medium. Some things work in in the the comic medium. And they simply wouldn't if those pictures were, were moving or you had to make it for a theatrical audience.
0: And I think storyboards for film, I mean, I would imagine the storyboarders are thinking in the context of what can we do, and it will look and feel right, and comics are not. It's just that if we can draw it, it, right? If you can draw it, it's okay. All you gotta do is be able to draw it. And taking anything like that, like, that's why I think it's hard for the villains, um, especially the sort of... You know, like a like Apocalypse, right? And BVS, like mm-hmm. it's a it's a terrifying figure in the comic, right? A- and it's just hard to take that and make it into a moving thing creature. It's like the same thing with Dark Side in um the X Men movies. You know, like the whatever the last one, the um uh, that's just a really terrifying villain. But it's ha- It's just hard to you know take what's his name and make him purple. And
1: listen, these days it's hard to make a a genuinely scary movie villain. Period. <laughs> there there's very little we have not seen at this point, yeah. you know. Um
0: Well, weren't you telling have, me that in your class your kids you, that you're teaching now didn't think Jaws was scary?
1: They thought it was kind of boring. Oh. They had trouble sticking with it. <laughs> I know. Isn't that movie that terrified. I mean,
0: you know, but I guess it again, what have we seen, right? What are you, what have you desensitized to? And that level of practical effect back then was pretty yep. cutting edge.
1: Well, and I, listen, I love my students. I still love what I do and, and everything, but it, there's no getting around it. You know, I, I, 10 years ago, I could count on, I could toss out a movie title, um, and it didn't even necessarily have to be really recent. I could toss out that movie uh, title and the majority of the room had seen it, or if it was a classic movie, a fair number of them haven't seen it. And we could just sort of use it as discussion fodder for a few minutes. And that has been less and less true every year that I've taught. Wow. Um, now I toss out things and they, the the age group these days, 18 to 22, they just do not spend as much time watching film and television as previous generations did. And I'm not judging. It's, it's maybe a good thing. Who knows? Mm-hmm. Um but the fact is, their cultural touchstones are very different from mine, and there are other moments too when I'm just sort of at a loss as to like what the hell can I show you to impress you. So I had a uh, a film appreciation class watch The Godfather, and oh, they no. for the most they for the most part didn't care.
0: Uh, that makes my heart hurt.
1: Oh, did yours. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, but then, you know, there are other times when um, like they, they really were impressed by children of men. Oh yeah. And that that was one that I assigned thinking, God, they're going to hate this. You know, there, there's no way that they're going to hang in there, but no, they were riveted. Do you
0: think though that has to do with like social consciousness? And that one obviously is touching on some serious themes about that are socially applicable when the Godfather, I think doesn't necessarily, that's really immediately, sort of ingestible by you know today's age group but children and men's about like you know it's making a societal statement that you know it's pretty serious
1: no i think you're on to something i i think it's very hard for them to connect with you know this mafia family in the 50s you know <laughs> mm-hmm. um and i and that's a that's a fair point from from their perspective i also do think though the style of those two movies matters you know, mm-hmm. Children of Men is an incredibly sophisticated movie, just, you know, in style and technique and everything. But there's always many things happening at once. The camera's always moving, it's, you know, there's always some new sort of sound coming in and out. And it's so, it's a sensory it's a, it, a overload, you know, by design. Um, these characters are sort of stuck in this po- post-apocalyptic world, which, by the way, I think that's another selling point for the movie for for younger audiences. Um, you know, I'll put it this way: they, most of them, really, I can't say they all enjoyed it because it's so heavy, and some of them just don't want to. Um, they that's not their kind of thing. But they at least were engaged with *Children of Men*. Many of them kind of shrugged off the original *Blade Runner* when I had them watch it too. Oy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I still listen. And and, and again, I'm not a millennium basher. In fact, my argument when I hear people in my generation, um, you know, talking down about millennials, it's like, well, look, we and the baby boomers pretty much screwed them. So, you know, keep that in mind. But I also knew us when we were their age and we were full of it too. So, you know, just lay off these kids, but, but there's no getting around the fact that they, they engage media differently than, than I did certainly when I was 18 to 22.
0: It's just so interesting as well, to your point is they're not ingesting as much because there is literally a glut, an exponential amount of content available today than there was, you know, we, we were, when we were kids, we had like, If we could get down to the movies and, and you know, like the three or four networks and that was kind of it. And now, you know, it's just ridiculous. I mean, I remember when we couldn't even afford a VCR. And I remember the first time when like your video rental places let you rent a VCR and (laughs) we would rent it for the weekend. And like I remember in like 86 or or 87 and like I rented Top Gun and that (laughs) was just such a great like I couldn't even wrap my head around the fact that I was watching a movie at home. Right. That didn't have yeah. commercials and all the swear words edited out, you know, right. or whatever, like, you know, it was just like, it was so Epic. And that's just now it's like with the internet, like that's all bets are off. <laughs> like you right. can get everything at any time, you know,
1: but see, but see, you know, the college generation, they they're consuming media plenty. They're just not consuming theatrical films and television nearly as much they're on YouTube and they're playing games and, and engaging different kinds of, of media all the time.
0: Well, and that's the thing, too, is that what's great as a video gamer. I mean, honestly, like what people don't understand, you know, and, and especially people that are older, like my parents or my mom um, or her generation and even my wife, who was not a video gamer and she's a little bit older than I am. But um, uh, is video games now are storytelling, right? Like before it was just like, oh, you know, just blow up the asteroids, But, you know, like I just finished Assassin's Creed, which is a series where, you know, the premise is, is that it's via DNA memory. And they figured out how to basically if you have DNA strands, you can go back in time and relive like your ancestral, you know. And the idea is there's a society of assassins that have impacted history all throughout. And it's in these certain time periods. And the most recent one is set in, in, um, in Egypt, right? Like Cleopatra, that time period. And you're actually interacting with people and moving through a arc. And and right. actually in, and actually in participating in things that we know are historically accurate, you know what I mean, like Ptolemy's assassination or whatever, and you know it's fascinating. I mean, so it's almost participatory
1: storytelling. Right. 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 Yeah, my son and I have had this uh, this kind of conversation, you know, plenty of times, and he he likes some of the old classic games, um, you know, that were you know, look. I go all the way back to Pong, so I've seen <laughs> it all. <laughs> <laughs> and so, you know, he likes those, but eventually he wants something a little bit more, you know, engaging. Um, but, you know, he also he has much more diverse tastes than I ever did in video games. So he'll get on and he'll fight for a little while in Brawlhalla with a, you know, connect with a buddy. But then he'll also play something like Subnautica or Lord of the Rings online, you mm-hmm. know, where there's a really involved story going on. And, um, and one thing that kind of fascinated me, one of the first things he ever latched onto when it comes to, um, games was Minecraft. Yeah. And you know, he was a Lego kid early on and Minecraft is almost like a natural extension of that kind of play. You could do so many things with it. And so it's crude graphics, but this whole sandbox concept did not exist when you and I were younger and it's fascinating to me.
0: It did, but it was limited to just us and like 80 pieces. Right, right. or something, yeah, like erector yeah.
1: sets or whatever, but but not in video games, right? Yeah,
0: no, I'm talking about it was just a physical construct,
1: so you were right. really limited, right? And one thing I find, uh, it seems like this was one of those things, where like, okay, this is where we're going, um, and it's a simple thing, but the was it Mario Maker, where mm-hmm. you can. Yeah, you, so you can create Mario levels, and you're just in the middle of them. You can you can sort of stop, edit it, and everything like that. The thing I find interesting about that is the line between consumer and maker is getting increasingly blurred. Of course. And so he's growing up at an age where, like, it's almost frustrating to him when he can't tinker with the game that he's playing. <laughs> like, you mean I'm stuck with these rules? So, you know, why can't that happen? You know, I can do this in this, in this other game. And I get it. You know, it's... Um, that's that's a that's a new concept for my generation, but it's something that is almost sort of a given for uh, for his generation.
0: Well, I mean, and also, I mean, it's a brilliant model, but user generated content is a um, is a is a big you know is such a big thing, right? There's a game called Trials Fusion, which is like a physics based um motorbike game, right? And you sort yeah. of have to get it's linear, it's almost platformer esque. You know, it's it's they they've made the graphics look really sweet. But the idea is basically you have a bike and it's got certain limited traits like power and you know braking and all that sort of stuff. And you have to get from one end of the, you know, from the start to the finish. Um and it's fun and it's hard and all that. But they have this thing now where people can build their own it's got entire level building systems. So then, once you're done with what the game gives you, they rank them and people like them. And I can just go play some random bike course that somebody built in Zimbabwe, you know, or whatever, wherever, right? And run through that and, you know, all that thing. And you can score it. And based on how you score it, you know, one's rise to the top. And it's brilliant from a game standpoint because the hard thing about games is if they're very linear and they have an end when you're done with it, you're done with it. That's why you see now with DLC and this idea is that games live on forever. Or like with Warcraft where it's MMO and the idea is it's constantly can just pump stuff into that universe. But it's fascinating and it's a brilliant business move because it's how you create a lot more longevity in these games.
1: Yeah, and it it makes me – I mean, and I don't pretend to play all these games – you know much really, or to even fully understand it. But I can see what's going on, and it's really kind of fascinating and exciting. And you know, to bring our discussion back to movies, movies have always balanced original uh, ideas, you know, that, that originate in the movies, along with these source uh, ideas from other media. And video games have now become a source. And so, between what's going on with comics and what's going on with video games, um, it and then. Sort of the change in the way that we consume motion pictures in general, I can't – I've I've stopped trying to predict where exactly we're going to be in 10 to 20 years when it comes to the motion picture industry. I'm not sure what it's going to look like, but it's probably not going to look like a traditional two-dimensional – Theatrical screen.
0: Well, I'm actually just waiting for it. It's going to be really interesting because I think, again, like there's a corporate master that has to do with all this. and, And I'm sure we probably see it to a degree anyway. But clearly one of the big things, especially the advent of the Internet, when it came to, again, with things that have universes associated is fan fiction. Where people right. could just go and write things. But the reality is now is you have young filmmakers and people that can just, you know, the tools for them to produce things on their own. If you got an iPhone and a computer, you can make a movie. I mean, it might not right. necessarily be crazy, but you can make a movie, right? You could shoot a film. And um and and, and like that's the thing is is when people start to fan fiction this stuff, when it used to instead of just be like a short story that was about, you know, some random rebel fighter in Star Wars, you know, that occurred between so and so, when someone actually goes, you know what, I'm just gonna go make a movie. About what I think happened to, you know, on, uh, on uh, you know, with Jabba, the Hutt, before, you know what I mean, before, uh-huh. you know, he, Luke killed him, or Leia killed him, right? And just go do it, uh, you know, and you're going to have, then you're going to have this huge legal fight, and they're going to be cease and desist, which I hope people figure that out, because... It almost is like those people just kind of, as long as you really point out that it's only fan fiction, they've kind of given people the leeway to be able to do that. But we're we're going to run up into a world where if somebody wants to make a fan fiction film, they're going to be able to do it.
1: <laughs> I wonder how legally we will evolve to that.
0: Yeah, but you know what I'm saying? Like, that's the thing. When people started sure. writing fan fiction Star Wars stories, it's like they could have sent cease and desist letters. But somehow along the way, smartly, I think with Lucas – is to allow that, and his edict was always like, you just have to point out that this is not canon. And then, believe it or not, he started actually reviewing books by authors and deciding if it was canon. So Lucas (laughs) even allowed some of those books that were not necessarily commissioned by Star Wars people, he would read them and even give those people notes and say, change this, this, and this, and I will canonize, to use a religious
1: term, (laughs) I will
0: canonize (laughs) this book and say that, okay, this is now officially part of Star Wars canon.
1: Well, it, you know, for one thing, you, you're—it is so much smarter to go along with it, participate in that fan culture that grew up around whatever you created, rather than trying to resist it. You know, I mean, you've seen this with with music. You had those, um, you know, Metallica, eh, those those guys from Metallica. I'll keep it nice, you know, who <laughs> who fought that whole movement. You know, well, look now, anybody can share any kind of music you want, and guess what? it actually leads to more sales if people are sharing it and making and letting everybody know that they love it, you know, rather than trying to shut all that stuff down, you know, um, either way it's coming no matter what. So find a way to utilize it rather than trying to control it.
0: Yeah. Sometimes we can have a separate conversation about that. I think maybe because I came from that world where your product is your song and people just steal it, that there's a little bit, it's harder to stomach when, you're the creator, <laughs> but, um, sure. but yeah, but, but you're right. I mean, I think uh, again, there was an adjustment period and I think they, w- I've heard documentaries like they would tell you that I think it was just so abrupt and technology at such an, you know, just a light speed rate. It's like, everybody's like, holy shit, what do we do? It's reflected really greatly in the defiant ones, which is the documentary about Dr. Dre and Jimmy Iovine, where when he realized that was going on, he's like, we're dead. If we don't figure out <laughs> how to deal with this, the industry is dead right as we yeah. know it right we have to figure out how to you know what i mean like work with what's sure. going on and and whatever because like you know press cds or that's it that's over right like those things will eventually just go away and they have right. and he's still a billionaire so they figured it <laughs> out but anyways so look good talk so i've sort of made a decision because we had this great conversation and now i want to have you on again and we can explore more of this stuff so what i'm going to do is is i'm going to i'm going to episode these guys and um We'll go ahead and exit here, and then I'm gonna we'll pick it back up um, in, in a separate episode if you're listening now, and I'll make sure I do it in the description so people that just want the Jedi talk um, can find it. But thanks, this was awesome. We should definitely do it again. So um, thanks everybody for sticking around. Absolutely. Um, uh, if you want to check out the last Jedi review, that's going to be a separate post, and I'll put them up. But uh, until next time, press on.